and welcome to the Steam Power Podcast. Chicka 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 chicka. All right, live from beautiful downtown Southern Maryland, it's time for the Steam Power Podcast, episode number seventy-four for October fourth, yes, twenty fifteen. We are a bi-weekly podcast dedicated to bringing the latest and greatest in science, technology, engineering, art, and math news. Keep it quirky. That's the end. God, I always mess this up. Steam power, the power to change the world. I'm Mike. I'm Lisa. It's time to get steamy. All right. Uh, we're kind of back mm-hmm. on the schedule. I missed last week, which I was supposed to be Gears of Resistance. Well, we had a busy week last week. It was a county fair, and you know, we had a march in the parade, yeah. and we had volunteer backspace booth. It was kind of busy. It was really busy at the booth, actually. People were enamored by 3D printers. Yes. It was pretty amazing. Everyone seemed to be gravitating. Well, it helped that. that you were printing out little miniature scale Minecraft. Things. That did help a lot. <laughs> little swords and little pickaxes. S words. Because I haven't met a kid so far in the uh, 6 to 12 age bracket that doesn't look Minecraft. That's so, true. Yeah. That's very true. So that was a good turnout. Mm-hmm. Um, what else is going on? You got any news? What's going on no. with your stuff? No. Still the same line. old, same old, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Same old. So, um, I guess we should... What else do we... Is there anything else we want to talk about? Um, talk about your GoPro. Oh, we got a GoPro, finally. Yes. With, with Hero it's 7. early birthday present. So... Get it out here. So the session was like the newer, tinier little model. It's like two inches cubed. Um, it's waterproof too, so you can drop this in the water. Not I that I admit, the quality of the video is pretty good. It is really good yeah. for the size. Um, I've got some and ideas. Haley for, spent most of the day yesterday chasing the cat around. We did chase the cat around. <laughs> it makes a great now cat chase. We have chasing. to figure out how to clip it onto the cat's harness so that she can figure it out. It would be great to put it on her head, but I don't yes. think she would like that. Very no, much. I think we're going to have to put it on her. Yeah, we'll figure something out. Yeah. But um, hopefully we'll get some, uh, I'm thinking about how to use this with like, the drone to get better footage than the little cheap mm-hmm. camera that came with it. It's light, but I don't know if it's light enough to where the, the drone will be able to pick it up or not. Yeah. But we're going gonna to try. We are going to try. So, and the, so the GoPro session, they just... The reason we went with it is that they just had a big price drop with it um, because I think GoPro is hitting like their market maturity and they're kind of like, you know, how do we make more sales and keep the stock in people's And Christmas is coming. In Christmas and yeah. birthdays. So I appreciate it. Well, your birthday. Thank you for my birthday. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, Although I'm really not sure why you chose that over the Apple Except that I know you're waiting for the next generation. I think I'm what I always try to wait for the second generation mm-hmm. of the Apple anything. I learned that the hard way with the iPad. Like I was like so close. I was waiting, 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 and then I got about halfway. And I was like, darn it! I just, and then I really wish I'd waited for the iPad too. Mm-hmm. But lessons learned. Yeah. Um, the, the GoPro, and then the other thing was it's something I think Haley would like to do too. She's a big. Yes, yeah, she's a so. She plays, she's a filmmaker too. Like that, yeah. So it was more of an unselfish thing, if you think about it. <laughs> I was Whatever actually I was acting <laughs> out in the best interest of our daughter as aspiring filmmaker. Um, anyway. Whatever helps you sleep at night. Uh, some news before we get into the news. We have launched, um, let me see here, screen share. Figure this out. Figure this out. Do the screen, clearly the screen. So, share with everyone. Um, so, if you head over to Steam Power Podcast, you can sign up for Slack, which is um, let me let me show what Slack is for. It's like I a guess. text messaging on steroids. So, yeah, like, so back in the day for us peoples that grew up like in the AOLs of the nineties, it's um, like a chat room, sort of. It's it's a chat room. So, at, at its most basic function, it's a it's a chat room, and you can have private and public ones. And so we set one Within up. the same chat room? Right. No, so you can have, right, so there's public channels and then private groups. Okay. So we, I set up one for art, engineering, general, math, random. 
I think actually general and random. Are they all under the same umbrella? Yeah, so if you get access, you, right, you get them all access all these. Okay. Uh, the private ones you have to invite, get invited to. One. So the way it works is, and I'll, let me explain how we get set up later, but so the idea is, yeah, it, at, at its core, there's just chat. You type in hello, and people can go, and it's asynchronous. So you don't, the nice thing is, unlike chat rooms, like you didn't see any, like when you, when you joined a chat room, you didn't see the previous messages. Yes. Whereas with a Slack, you well, actually, you did as long as you were in there at a certain time. Like they expired, though. Right. The more people who typed, it pushed them out of the window. Maybe the chat rooms you were in, the ones yeah. I remember, didn't you? If you you started, you could see the people's that were before you, but only to a certain right. point, and then as soon as so many more were typed, well, and that's, it pushed them out of the window. Right, and I think that's Slack, too. Like, you only see the last 10,000. But the idea but is... But you can scroll back up to see the older ones, right? Up the last 10,000, I think, oh, well, 10, for a free account. All right, that's quite a few. But it's... The other thing is that... So, let me explain why it's different than chats of old. So, over here, these little bot things, um, you can integrate other... Um, services into um, your Slack channel. So, for instance, if you were on here with me mm-hmm. and I was updating the which pop- you haven't got yet, <laughs> and I was updating the Google full, the Google uh, sheet that we use to coordinate the shows, yes. every time I made a change, it would notify you in the stream. I wouldn't have to go in there and type. I have updated the whatever file name. Yes. If it if you manually integrate with um. Google Drive and Slack, it'll update anytime a file's updated. And it does things with like Dropbox, Google Mail, um, or not Google Mail, Google Docs, or Google Drive now. Um, so it would let me know, assuming I had notifications. Exactly. So if you, Which I never do. Right. You never do. <laughs> no. It's okay. I still love you. I don't. Um, but then the other thing is you can have like multiple different teams that you want. So like, here's the steam power podcast and I have a couple that I've joined on the side. So like I've done one for the company green shoe garage that people coordinate with. And then these are all within the steam power podcast. It's the one I've selected right now, mm-hmm. all the channels. Like I said, I've got it turned on to integrate with like Google calendar, uh, GitHub, Dropbox. And then I think like with Dropbox, right? I can just click in here, start typing the word like slash Dropbox, and tell it which file I want to add. So and share. could this be a way for like people to share stories with us that yes. they want us to do? Or? So here's the idea, right? So it's very confusing. It's one of those. It's one of those tools where until you use it, it's really hard to explain what it really can do. So with that in mind, let me make sure I hit hit the wrong button here. If you head over to Steam Power Podcast, but you have to actually get an invite. So you can't just join. So what I've set up is a Google form. You put in your first name, you put in your, and it, it requires an email address. Cause that's how, that's how it creates the account. Mm-hmm. So send me your email address and tell me if you want to join steam power podcast, years of resistance or both. Um, then hit submit. And I have to then go in and add you to whatever one you choose. And then you will get an email saying, come complete your account and then you all have access to Slack. Okay. It exists. You can get it on the browser, so you don't have to download anything, but there is a dedicated app if you want to have the app. The nice thing about the app is that for every team you sign up for, instead of having to remember to log into each one each time, with the app, it'll store that stuff into, because you don't create like a one master Slack account, mm-hmm. which I think they'll probably change eventually. So if you do the, on the browser, you've got to remember to sign into every team every time. Whereas if you use the app, you can keep it signed in for all the teams you join. Okay. There's also iPhone, Android, iOS, or iPad and iPhone, all the Android stuff. So there's apps galore. There's the apps for the Mac, Windows, um, and then the browser, if nothing else. Okay. So if you're interested, head over, sign up. And um, we're going to try to, that's, we've tried different things with like Google groups, IRC channels. Um, I think Google groups is kind of like, it's so old and they never updated it. It's kind of not a great thing. Um, IRC requires a little bit of technical know-how to get it set up to work right. Slack seems to be like this happy medium between complexity and usefulness. So we'll try that for a while and see how it works. Okay. 
All right. Yep. You bu- you buy in. Are you going to sign up? Uh, maybe. <laughs> there we go, folks. Maybe I will. I'll, you want to go ahead and, oh, we should thank our sponsor first. Yes. Audible. So, Audible, head over Which to. I need another book soon. Let's see here. Opening to a incognito window. So, um, I think we are up to, yeah, let's see. We're up to 180,000 titles. Okay. I got the thing I changed that recently. So, uh, audibletrial.com slash steampowerpodcast. Sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible. What's Audible, you ask? What is it, Lisa? What is Audible? Uh, it is just a website where you can get audiobooks that you can download to your phone, or you can play it through the app in your car, or however you want to listen to it. You listen to it on your phone, right? You sync up. I sync up the phone with the car, and I listen to them in the car. When you're driving around. Yes. Um, what book have you listened to last? What was your last book? Um, that's a good question. It was, um, gosh, I can't remember the name of it. The author was Laurie Natero. It was a funny book. Was it Gray? No, it wasn't Gray. You know, I haven't read that yet. <laughs> I, re- I read all the Fifty Shades books, but I haven't read Gray. But I, I wasn't as enamored with them as the rest of the country was. But. Mm. There's Holly Madison, Down the Rabbit Hole. Mm. That's in that, that's probably that's probably not a surprising one. Like you'll probably listen to that and be like, "Yeah, I kind of guess." Exactly. Yeah. So that's the problem. You have like a you know world famous multicultural national reality show for a couple of years. Yeah. It's kind of like we know everything Everybody about knows you. Everything, yeah. But it's not just Holly Madison. There's a bunch of sci-fi. There's, oh, there's self-helps. Yeah. There's fiction, nonfiction. There's tons of books, and you can sign up. For your free 30-day trial, to get access to 180,000 books, basically every month you get a credit. Cre- one credit is good for about one book. There are like very few books that are. Yeah, two we credits. haven't ran in any. I haven't ran into those. two credits. So um, after your after your trial, and it's an Amazon company, so you can sign up with your Amazon stuff. You already have it. It's basically fifteen dollars a month. You get a credit a month, and then you can listen to basically a book a month. Uh, you can cancel at any time, and then when you cancel, any books you've acquired at that point are yours. You can listen to them, um, I guess, until Amazon ceases to exist. So, <laughs> which is no time in the foreseeable future. We don't think it's going to be anytime soon. Um, shall we go into stories? Sure. Let's let me expand this. All right. Bye bye, Google. <laughs> Google is dead. Long live Alphabet. Well, it's not dead, right? It's not dead, dead. They're, Google Google yes, will still be the search they're engine. Now, they're a subsidiary of a bigger company now. Yes. Um, so why do you do this? So why does a company like Google... So Google, right, was a search engine company, right? That's how they started. We're going to make... We're going to make... There was Yahoo, which relied on building, like, people-built kind of um, registries of websites. Google came along and said, no, we can do that better, and we can do it automated. Um and that was their core business. But since then, you've got the Android smartphones, tablets, you've got Google Glass, you've got driverless cars, driverless cars you've got yeah. all these weird stuff that's not necessarily... You I know, saw something interesting in the story. They're doing contact lenses that detect glaucoma or yes. something like that. Yep. That's, that's an interesting that they're branching out to the healthcare industry. I, well, everyone is because whether yes. we want to admit it or not, it's going to be a... Basically, what I've, someone, I've, there was some tech... Well, we're all Some CEO of like, that was either Apple or Google said, basically the healthcare industry is the last industry that has not been disrupted by technology. Yes. And so now everyone, and, and it's the biggest. So everyone's like now, Ooh, how can I get a piece of that pie? Because it's so much money in the healthcare industry that if you can make it more efficient by like 20, 30%, that's more money than every other thing that's been disrupted by technology. So there's there's a there's a big hunger right now to go out and introduce technology to make healthcare more efficient because there's the benefit of making healthcare more efficient, mm-hmm. which means better healthcare, better services, cheaper services. And for the people that are inventing the stuff in that world, they're gonna make a lot of money because the healthcare industry is a bloated whale. Yes. So anyway, um but there's risk involved, right? There's always risk in doing things that are that if you leave your core business, 
and you take on more, and especially when you're a publicly traded company, stock investors don't, they frown upon, you know, they eventually they get to a point where they just want to have a return, a reasonable return on investment. So Google stopped that by breaking up their company into basically a bunch of different smaller companies that fall under the, an umbrella called Alphabet. Um, so that does a couple things. It protects, because they're, they're operated in, uh, independently, if, say, Google Ventures, um, which is kind of like their virtual capitalist arm, or Google Labs, which is kind of like their R&D, if one of those does really screw up bad, it doesn't bring the whole company down, right? Okay. Um, I gotcha. From an investor perspective, when Google would do, like, you know, when you're a publicly traded company, you have to do quarterly um, results on your stocks and all that, right? You're mm-hmm. required part of the SEC. Well, the problem is we have a huge company where there's so many moving parts. You can kind of hide your profits and losses and all these different, you know, nuances of how you do your reports. When you break a company into these smaller businesses, people will now have a better insight of really how efficient and how good Google's core business is. Because that's really what makes them money still, right, is the, is the, yes. the, the advertising, the, part of the, the search yes. part. So now investors will be happy because they'll have a better insight of um, that core business and they'll be able to, to, to react um, based on so more better data. So why did they choose Alphabet? Uh, I read that. So I guess somewhere down here it says, what is it? And this is something where you, when venture capitalist and funding world, mm-hmm. that being a small business owner, I don't understand at all. But I guess Alpha is is something that's considered like when you, like you have a benchmark of how much money you're supposed to make, and anything above mm-hmm. that is called the Alpha. Okay. And then a bet, like we're betting on the future. So. Okay. All right. Again, I don't really understand what. Well, alpha, alpha is, is sort of like the top dog. And then there's alpha is the top the, dog. Yes. Um, and I don't know if that was what they really intended, but that's where I was reading. Um, actually, let me bring up there. So it's their, their website is. So aimed, they're the top dog, and they're betting right. on different parts exactly. of the market. They're, and their website okay. address is abc.xyz. Really? <laughs> yes. The dot XYZ is a thing. You yeah, know? well, now there's top. So earlier. Wait, can you just get dot whatever you want? Are yes. we in that day and age where so, you can get. Like, I could get dot Lisa right. if I wanted to. So, it. what happened was. It doesn't was, have to be three letters. No, it can be. It can be anywhere from two to I don't know how many letters is the limit. So a couple yeah. of years ago, what happened was everyone. So I can get like Lisa dot parts, right? And that no dot com. So here's like, the thing, right? A couple everyone knows a dot com. Like when you have a business, you want the dot com because everyone will sell you the dot yes. net, the dot you know, the dot co, the dot. But everyone mentally thinks unless you're you're not legit unless you have the dot com of that yes. of that thing, yes. right? Which is why I, well, I chose it's one of those Cowboy. things. Like if you have a business and you don't have a dot com address, people people are going to go to fish, the website, right. and they're going to search for your business name dot com. Like they don't. It doesn't occur to them that it might be dot right. net or dot org. So because people whatever. were never really buying the dot net, and I fall into that trap myself. So the companies that 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 the domain registrars that make money off of every time you renew your address, yes. We're like, man, we need to make, we, like any business, we want to make more it's sort money. Of, it's just ingrained in our heads, though. Right. You know, we're at a point now where it's just like that dot com is just. Well, what they're hoping is they, so they have, the, so dot com is what's called a TLD, a top level domain. So dot com, dot net is t, as a TLD. Yes. What they're experimenting with is, well, why don't we just make a dot Google and then let Google buy the top level domain that's top. So basically, this is a money making scheme. Really, okay, yeah. The idea was you can now. There's like dot club and dot net. So, yeah. Um, anyway, we're di- we're distracted here. So yeah, someone created dot Well, I didn't know you could do that. And here Honestly. is. Let me see here. I didn't know you could just make dot whatever you wanted. Uh, but I guess anything is with enough money, you can get whatever you want. When people want to make more money, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, so here, 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 it was actually on their official page that I read why they're alpha. So here it is. We would like to think that it means alpha hyphen bet. Alpha is an investment return above me- benchmark, which we strive for. Um, 
So again, it's a it's some sort of I guess venture capitalist investment okay, term. Yeah. Anyway, um, so they've done that. So the Alphabet now is the parent company. Google.com um, is now CEO'd by Sundar Pichai. Larry is taking on Alphabet. Larry Page, who was the original Google's, well, has been the Google CEO as of late. Um, he's becoming the CEO Does of Google Alphabet. Google own YouTube? Yes. I did not know that. Yes, so Google owns YouTube. There's Google Ventures. There's mm-hmm. Google Labs. There's, which I think, then there's the, they bought Nest that makes the thermostat. So all these companies are going to set up their own little independent companies underneath the Alphabet umbrella. Okay. Anyway, that's that. Pretty cool. It's like business of tech. Next story. Can exercise be replaced with a pill? <laughs> I just thought this was kind of, um, it's like one of those things we all think in the back of our heads, like, gee, I wish I could just take a pill for that or something. But uh, apparently they are starting to develop pills which work with your cardiovascular system and your muscle mass and your metabolism and that kind of thing to actually, I guess, mimic exercise so the story, in your body. The idea is, and this is this is a legit article. This is from the Trends in Pharmacological it's legit Sciences. It's, this isn't an actual thing yet. Like, there is no actual pill out there yet. For that people, does they're, it. they're yes. experimenting. They are experimenting with animals right with now. different things. Yes. Um, so the idea is exercise. It's not the actual act of it's not the physical exertion that makes you better. It's that that physical exertion triggers chemical yes reactions. It's, it's the reactions within your body that give you the benefit. And that's if it's a chemical reaction that gives you the benefit, then can't you simply induce those chemical reactions yes. by simply swallowing a pill? And I mean, I think one of their worries is that this is going to be abused by people who you know, like bodybuilders or cyclists or, you know, people who could use it to better their endurance and things like that for their actual livelihood. But it's actually more aimed towards people with disabilities, people with spinal cord injuries, things that prevent that people that have legitimate reasons that prevent them from doing daily exercise as, as something to give them the benefits of exercise without actually having to put that strain on their body. I mean, and here's the thing, like, I really don't actually understand why we're so anti-doping in sports. Like, so if it, if it, I think the only reason we're against it is because it, we force well, people to do it. Well, it gives an unfair advantage, I think. But if you make it, Here's my point. Is, I guess if you make it legal and if you choose to use it you, or not. And you bring it out into the light. The thing of it is, is that everybody's body is different. So one man takes steroids and it may interact with his body in such a way that causes him to do great. While another man may take them and it causes him to have a heart attack. So I right. think they're not ready to assume that risk. Like if they say, okay, you guys can use this stuff and somebody uses it and dies of a heart attack well, or of some other right. thing, they don't want to assume that. And that's different then. But I'm saying from the just the, the perspective of morals and, and sports, like, you know what? What does it really – I mean, I understand that people want to say we want to find – it's the pursuit of human um, – of the excellence of the human. But the reality I is – I think they say it's more – but it, but honestly, look at all the it's research, more of a risk. Right. It's look at all the research thing. we do into, like, the swimsuits, like, to make it so that you're so aero or fluid yes. dynamic in the water or whatever. So my whole thing is the whole thing about we want to – then there shouldn't be any science involved. It should be purely the athletic um, pursuit. Uh, because as soon as you do even one thing with technology to make yourself better at the sport, you've blown the whole argument of against. Yes. Um, I, I think the whole thing with the the doping and the drugs and stuff, they just don't want to assume the risk of somebody actually harming themselves okay. with the drug. I don't think it's so much. I mean, they cry about it and say it's morals, but I think the actual reason they don't do it is the risk. Well, there you go. 
But, yeah, I mean, this could be good for people with disabilities and other things that prevent them from working out on a daily basis. I, I'll, t- I'll be honest with you. I would take it. I would freaking take it in a heartbeat. <laughs> I would take it, too. <laughs> but, I, you know, it's not aimed towards the normal person who can do daily exercise. I think that's what they wanted to stress. It's, it is aimed towards people who have legitimate reasons that they can't right. exercise because like they don't want it to like, be a diet pill. You know, it, it's not a diet pill. It's to help enhance your body so for the right. health benefit, not but, to lose weight or but anything. Like any Pandora's box, as soon as you open that box, as soon yes, as people proven, are going to take it to to lose uh, weight and things like that. Right. Yes, yes. All right, next story. This was the big one. This this was this the big one yep. this week. Uh, we have pretty much conclusive evidence now that there is salty water flowing on the surface of Mars at certain times. Um, basically, if you look at this picture here, these little dark streets are what they're calling... And this so is, how does it flow at certain times? Isn't it just... Temperature. So when so it's... Too, when the it's, ice melt or something exactly. that causes... Okay. So when it's warmer, the salty, briny water that's underneath the surface um, is able to percolate up and it flows down. Um, and they're, they're called, they're called, I don't know why we had to create a name for it, but they're called recurring slope linnae, mm-hmm. L-I-N-E-A-E, or mm-hmm. lines, linnae's lines. Anyway, um, basically, the evidence is now that, yes, at certain times of the year when the temperatures are just right, warm enough, um, Salty, it's, again, it's very high salt content um, water, and the salt helps again keeps lowers uh, raises the was it lowers or raises it would lower the freezing temperature. So it doesn't it, it would take more cold to make it frozen, right? It would have to be colder. Oh, I'm hopefully linear. I'm getting that right. Linear, yeah, like linear. I, in yeah. all my years of science, I've never freaking heard that term. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's linear. Well, there you it, go, It's folks. related to, like, linear. Like, that sounds right to me. Yeah. Um, so, again, like, everything with, with we're trying to research is it's, we believe, as life as we know it, one of the prerequisites is water. Um, we also know, though... However, it, not salty water. <laughs> well, again, life as we know it. Now, we which, found, which lends itself to another story that we're going later, but... There's, um, well, the thing is, life as we know couldn't, I mean, we look at, we found these microbes that are in the vents of the vol- underwater volcanoes that, you know, in theory, it's so hot. Well, I guess I should say life, so pressure. life based on, you know, I mean, fish can live in salty water and other aquatic things. So yes, life yes. can live in salty water. So the yes. point, life is, right now we would be happy to find microbial life at this point, right? Um, Which I think they will eventually. So, well, this just leads that perhaps there are, there is places, you know, if life is a lot more um, tough than we give it credit for, that that per, if there's, so long as there's water, there's a good chance that something could evolve to the point of surviving in a, um, even regardless of how extreme the pressures or temperatures are. So now, Mark, now we found water. That gives smart researchers, scientists, and people that do, you know, NASA, European Space Agency, gives them more impetus to let's put together a probe that actually can go look specifically for life. So how long, like, if we were to put people on a space shuttle and send them to Mars, how long would that take? Uh, It's, well, at least 500 days because that was the... um, Wow, okay. But again, it depends on when you... You got to find this. You know, the Earth and the Mars has to be in the right, yeah. You know, rotation because the way you know, it's not. It's not like so you I take think a straight eventually line. Eventually, that's what we're going to need to do. Right, and that's what people like Elon Musk, um, NASA to an extent too, are trying to. You know, by the twenty thirties, we want to get people to Mars. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> now, you know, again, we think, you know, Elon Musk made a. Um, I think it was on Colbert's first week of being the new uh, host of the late show, you know, his, his ideas, you know, there's a couple ways we can make life 
on Mars more um, sustainable, and that was to launch a couple nukes at the poles, <laughs> and then you would free up all the water that's yeah. in the polar ice caps, and um, again start the process of um, basically rebuilding an atmosphere. But now we know that there's probably more water than just on the poles, as we found with this recurring slope linear. Yes. <laughs> so it was a big discovery this year. Yes. Um, and they actually, so the original discovery so was how long in 2011. Think, how long do you think we are before actually discovering life on Mars? Five years? If it does, if it's actually, if there is actually life on Mars to be discovered. I think um, there is. Microbial, and we let's point out we're not saying that there's like yeah, not not humans, not, ET, not animals even. Uh, it's like probably within type, the next. I, I would say like within the next five amoeba, ten. things like that. It'll be five to ten years because you've got to get the probes built. Um, and the other issue is you to when you do search for life, you've got to make sure that you're really not sending anything from Earth there, and then you're basically. Um, screwing it's up the results, right? You're going yes. to contaminate the results. Yeah. So when you do spacecraft like that, it's very expensive because you've got to treat them in a certain way to make sure there's really no life. Yes. Um, which is interesting because all the probes we have sent can, then, can they conceivably have been already contaminated Mars? Have oh, already? that's true. That's a good anyway. point. Oh, because we did. I think like with Voyager, not the Voyager that went out to the solar system, I think there was Voyagers that landed on Mars. Um, they spent, it was like, like, I think it was like 30% of the budget but was treating them. But wouldn't they be them. able to tell when they actually looked at it and deconstructed it that this was from Earth? Like, I don't know. You know? I, well, I mean, that, that, a lot of things, we think a lot of the life, the, the potential, remember, the life that started on, we don't think life necessarily started on Earth, that life started perhaps in asteroids, comets, um, and we have been deposited on the planets. There's even some rumors, there's not rumors, but theories that life may have started on Mars and then with an asteroid impact, mm. some of it. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, I think we're within five, ten years. Once we get the probes built, sent, things that now actually look for life, um, and now we kind of know places to look, I think we're five to ten years out. Next story? Yep. Salt, speaking of salty water, uh, Egyptian researchers report a major desalination breakthrough. So as a Navy guy, when ship, we're surrounded by water, right? Yes. But you can't drink that water because it's salty. Yes. So we had these big but, things. But there are ways to filter salt water to make oh, yeah. it drinkable. Right? So on board a ship, you have what's called a reverse osmosis machine. Yes. The, require, the problem is it's big, it's clunky, it requires a lot of energy. Um, they're very temperamental, but they work. I mean, they get the job done pretty well. This breakthrough, though, over in Egypt requires, um, it's a new um, desalination technology that doesn't require electricity. Uh, to produce fresh water from salt water. It uses the heat that's, in the case of Egypt, being closer to the equator, yes. um, it finds you can use the natural heat that's found in that desert environment. Um, you can also, you can kind of take the, the heat from industrial processes, like natural gas facilities, or even fires lit in remote locations. So, like, you go out, in, you know, in the third world countries. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, it's a... It's a process that's using these, I guess they've got these special membranes um, that removes the large particles um, of, the, of salts. And then after that's after it goes through this membrane, um, the water is then heated until it's vaporized and then it condenses and then you get clean water out of it. So okay. it's a two-part process. But I think the um, the innovation here is the, the, the is the membrane that they've invented. Um which so apparently this would be good to use helps some of our ocean water as everywhere. water right. that's consumable. Exactly. So the idea is with, we have we don't have a problem with water on this planet. We have a problem with clean fresh water. Yes. Uh, think uh, California right now, right? Um, think lots parts of the desert of, of the world, the Sahara and the Mojave and the Gobi and all these other places that we're 
we can now potentially take a bunch of salt water, and especially in the case of California, since they're right next to mm-hmm. the freaking Pacific Ocean, Ocean yes. um, and Convert take that, that into fresh water that okay. can be used for agricultural purposes. Um, the issue's always just been it requires a lot of energy yes. to do any sort of, of again, reverse and osmosis. Bulky machines. Machines and this like seems to indicate that, and again, you know, like any a lot of new research or products, you know, there's not a whole lot of detail on what it is. Um, but if you can do something a lot cheaper, yes, and especially if it says if it's if it's true that all it really requires is a lot of heat, that you can you can, um, you know, we have so much other things that generate heat. You know, there's other processes, there's factories and whatnot that if you can simply tap onto that heat that's already being created to do other stuff, mm-hmm. um, then although, like in the case of California, why don't they have a big, um reverse osmosis machine out there that helps convert because some of the ocean water to drinkable water. It's not that they, it's because it just, it is wouldn't it create, money it's, it's a volume, right? It's, it, it these huge machines don't create enough that okay. where, it's, it's a return on it's the investment. It's not worth it. Okay. Right. It. right. So the issues you've got to get is, is you've got to make the return on the investment worth. And hopefully it sounds like maybe this breakthrough, um, I mean, they're claiming, so it says, let me read the quote that they that are coming from uh, the researchers. It's an innovation polymeric membrane that has been invented, which presents a breakthrough in the field of desalination membranes. It can desalinate simulated seawater, which that seems like, hmm, what does that mean, simulated seawater, mm-hmm. um, of exceptionally high concentration in, to produce a high flux of potable water with over 99.7% salt rejection. Okay. So that seems 99.7%. Seems pretty good. Yeah. I'm not a chemist or by any... But I would imagine that's probably pretty good for making, again, drinkable. And at least, if if not even drink, if it's not drinkable, at least for irrigation purposes. Um, You know, people mowing their lawns and whatnot and and, uh, growing fruits and vegetables. So anyway, pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Hopefully we'll see more of this. If this is truly a big and changes the world, maybe we'll start seeing some news over here. In the U.S., especially, I would assume, again, California would be the first to jump on that. Arizona, too. All right. From the deserts, we're going to the Netherlands. Um, This fall, for the first time ever in a major city, uh, autonomous shuttles will be driving the streets. So, actually, like, in, like, not just, like, test purposes, right? Not, like, Google's been, you know... Mm-hmm. testing it, but actually for, for actually public consumption for people to actually use um, up in the Netherlands, they're launching something called Wheat Pods. They're large enough to sit six people um, and it's a part of a project in a town called Wagenmenchen? Wagenmenchen? Sure. And then the town called Eve, Eve, yeah. So it's a seventeen-minute drive. So basically, um, they're cute little things. They're cute little buses that yeah. will be able to take people. And the little gift that's running here shows. But why? Why between these two towns? Like uh, I've never heard of either one of these towns. Because I would imagine so that it's. It is would, it just because it's rural and they want to test it out? And that would be my guess, right? It, it's, if they don't want to put it in a highly populated enough, area. It's enough. Are people, people really going to be going between these two towns? Right. Like, my guess is exactly. That. It's enough people where it'll be worthwhile. But yet it's not enough to where it could potentially be a breakdown. Okay. Or it's being so much that it causes mechanical, or there's a risk of it. You know, because I'm sure these things have like you know, there's a chance mm-hmm. that one in one in ten million miles driven will result in an accident. I don't know what. Yeah. There's uh, in all engineering, all technology. There's always a risk, right? Um. I'm sure most of the accidents are going to come from What's, people driving, exactly. hitting it, not, that's been, not it hitting other That's things. been all the issues thus far with Google's cars. Is, Although it does say there's going to be somebody to monitor it, even though there, he's not going to be inside of it. Right, I'm sure there's going to be someone. He's going to monitor it, right, yes. Well, I mean, just think about like, the train system in the, in the world, right? You, not, you, yeah, you have the engineers on board and, and whatnot, but there's always... there's. There's national 
infrastructure in place to monitor all the trains. So it makes sense that, yeah, you would have some sort of way to monitor these things. Yes. Um, so anyway, let's go to the Netherlands and drive around on autonomous vehicles. Yeah, it only goes 15 miles an hour. Well, you, it's, everything is slower in Europe, right? Every, they just, you know, no, it's faster in Europe. They have the Germany. Autobahn. That's and, Germany. You know, it's not, that's not Europe. That's Germany. <laughs> They're different. Uh, I'm just no. saying, like, I'm, I'm imagining normal cars getting behind these things and getting pissed off because they're only doing 15 miles an hour. Like, you would be honking your horn and flipping the bird. Yeah, but think about it. No, but no, 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 no. <laughs> I would rather take a, I'd rather get, get up in the morning not have to worry about getting completely uh, awake, just jumping into one of these things and yes. taking it into my job. But, but, and that lends itself to my first question. Are there really going to be that many people going between these two towns? Like, Apparently. Is it... Uh, I don't know. So, um, Does anyway. it just have one stop and then it just goes to the next... The end stop? Does it have stops in between? No, those are stops in between. It says it will shuttle visitors between the towns of Eve and... Which engine? Yeah. As well as uh, around this university, uh, Center for okay. Agricultural Research. So it looks like, yeah, there will be... Um, that thing would be cool down in Southern Maryland. It would be. It had little stops along 235 yep. to take you down the Prax River. You know, that would be cool. I'm trying to see if it, are these electric vehicles. I can't tell. It doesn't say... I don't think it says. I'm guessing not. I'm guessing they're gas, so anyway, um, if you're up there in the Netherlands, uh, looks like November 30th is the go live date. Mm-hmm. So you've got about about a month, two months left before the I see, robots uh, dominate. One of the comments is about how is it going to drive in snow and ice and things like sure. that. Yep. But again, that is a technological issue that is definitely overcomable. It's not like yeah. it's you know, impossible. Uh, we've done it for driver to car, tr- people cards, driver to cards. What's the term? Driver. What's the opposite of driverless? Driver. Driver yeah. cards. People powered cards. Anyway, next story: DARPA and restores man's sense of touch by connecting a prosthetic directly to the brain. Yeah, this is cool. So uh, this gentleman, he's 28 years old, suffered a, a spinal cord injury about a decade ago. Um, and they have given him a prosthetic hand. It must have been more than a spinal cord injury if he lost his hand. Yes, I would agree. <laughs> An accident or something, maybe. Or maybe they volunteered to have his hand chopped off. No, I doubt that. Uh, I don't know. So anyway, um, or maybe is it a glove? or is it No, it's a prosthetic No, it's hand, a hand. Right? It's an actual hand. So um, what's different with this one, though, is that they were able to identify with a close to 100% accuracy, which is, again, pretty darn good. Yes, that's um, amazing. Which of the mechanical fingers on his prosthetic hands were being touched? So, you know, you've got five fingers. You touch each one. You know, for us, you can tell, right? You close your eyes. Yes. You can figure out which finger is being touched. Prosthetics thus far, no. You, uh, you open, close, and very – so they're not – that's why you're not very dexterous. They don't have feeling. It. Right. Yes. This is working towards this giving has a feeling, feeling in it right. like a real hand. Yeah. Um, and to the point where, again, um, he could identify. The test was at one point they decided to touch two of his fingers at the same time, and mm-hmm. he was able to. He thought they were joking with him, right? He's like, "What are you doing?" I can. And he, they were able. So that was the kind of like the aha moment. So did they have to actually like operate on his brain to get this to work, or? Uh, where electrical signals were then able to be sent from the hand to the brain. No, so it looks like they if just I'm reading this correctly, it to something in his nervous system in his arm. So they did just, I mean, they did take surgery. Well, I think yes, though, obviously, they yes. went they went below the arm, so the part of the arm that was so they were able no to feeling. accurately connect something to his nerve. And then they they so there's a to, transponder between wow. the bad part and the good part, and then, so basically the, once they got to the good part of his arm. Then it, they use it, it that existing. The existing. Okay, yeah. At least that's what I'm reading in this thing here. Well, that's pretty amazing. Um, you wonder if if sometimes that's going to backfire for people with prosthesis, though, because I'm sure they do things with their hands that we couldn't normally do. Like, say, they're not used to having to not be able to touch a hot pot 
or grabbing on to something right. too tight so that it hurts their hand. So you're saying there's and advantages that yes, there, yes, about. because when you have a prosthetic arm, you probably have to grip things so tight in order to get it to actually work right. well. But now is that going to actually hurt him since he can feel it gripping? Well, I think then he would be able to then counter I mean, to me... To yeah, me, but maybe he needs to grip it hard in order to get his fingers oh, get to wrap around it. I get you Yeah, I mean, like with a prosthesis, it's not... It doesn't work exactly the same as a hand. You know, well, the fingers I mean, don't bend exactly That's how feedback same. systems work. You, 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 will, you will figure that... I mean, you can engineer it so that... Right. If I'm getting this kind of feedback, then that means this is how hard I'm pressing. And then, yes. Yeah, so there's ways to engineer that problem away. But that's pretty friggin' amazing. Yeah, it is. Um, it is. We're doing good things with health and technology. technology. Yep. So shall we do the next story? Yes. This is going to be definitely one I'm going to rely on you more. <laughs> so this comes from... Five recommendations for standardized test designers. And I am not a big fan of standardized tests because... I think they are not a good litmus test as to what children know. But this article actually brings up several ways in which we can change the way that we're giving standardized tests to allow for a better um, recognition of what kids know. Instead of that one test at the end of the year that has a culmination of facts on it, for the whole year and right. you know, and because some kids a just aren't good test takers. So that day they take the test or you never know, maybe they're tired that day. Maybe they didn't eat very well that day. You know, there's so many different things that can lend itself to a kid not having a good day. If you rely on just one or two days to take a test. So that's, Let's go down the list here. So the first one says yes. use tests as tools to directly promote learning, which is goes back to your point of having more frequent learning. Here, so maybe I'm when we went to school, we had tests like every two, three weeks. Right? Yes, but they weren't so isn't, standardized. Like the standardized so give standard, test. Is, oh boy, the standardized test is the test where the results are sent and tabulated and given back to the teachers that it's not saying to use all tests. It's saying, give them more frequently, but in shorter bursts, like don't give it, don't give a test an all day long test, you know, maybe give them an hour once a month or something like that. So here's my problem with this first one is so to do standardized testing at that frequency means you have to be doing standardized teaching, right? That, Everyone has to be on the same exact. No, if no, because if you read farther down here, okay, one of their suggestions is that they encourage the testing to adapt to what the children know. They're saying, you know, kids who take a test that's way too advanced for them are naturally going to do poorly. So have the computer develop, have an algorithm that identifies which problems the kids are doing well on, ask them to self-assess, like, how sure are you of this answer? And then give questions based on how the child is currently doing within the test. So those kids who don't know the advanced stuff, don't give them advanced questions on it. In other words, every right. child would have a slightly different test <laughs> Wait, at their computer. That, that, that it's no longer standardized. Right? To a degree, yes. However, well, that's what they're saying. Change the face of what we think of as standardized tests. Use these, because basically all standardized tests is is a benchmark of how children are doing, period, the end. Right. So develop some sort of algorithm where the kids work at basically their own pace within the test. Don't give a kid who can't even do four times four an advanced algebra problem. Okay. Give the kids who can do advanced algebra harder problems. But 
score them within such an algorithm where even if the kid who's doing more advanced work gets more wrong than the kid who's doing the four times sure, they're going to get a higher score because each question has a different weight on it of right. how much it's worth. Except so for all these people that are creating this test, that, that, that make a business out of this, Yes, I would claim that you have basically proven the point that standardized testing does not work, and what you're really yes. create, what you're really creating is something called, I would call, adaptive testing. Yes, exactly. So we, we have, we're going to publicly admit that standardized testing is stupid and has failed, and we're going to embrace this new concept of what I will say is it, I think adaptive, adaptive testing. testing is a good... But I, I think if you ask most people, they would say standardized testing doesn't work. I mean, yes, right. there needs to be some way that we assess students right. and to a lesser degree teachers sure. on how well they are doing. Yes, we know that. We can't just let it go and, you know, we need to know how the kids are doing. But standardized tests, the way that we do them, are not helping anybody so that, at all. So that was point two. Point two says make use of standardized tests that adapt to students' ability yes. level, which to me is an oxymoron. You can't possibly have well, a standardized test that has also been adapted. You know, I think they're just calling it standardized tests because we, we have know, that right? so ingrained in our brain to mean gotcha. the test that is a benchmark of student so skills. Number three, use standardized tests that provide feedback. Yes. So that's another good and point. So it's telling the kids, if they get an answer wrong, tell them what the right answer is. Right. So maybe they can say, oh, man, I forgot to multiply this number. Sure. Or, oh, man, I didn't carry the one. And I, I, I moved the decimal point over. So that way, as they move on within the test, they can Remember. realize oh, I forgot the decimal point on that one. I better do it on this question. Okay. Basically, it's saying give the kids a chance to excel. Sure. You know, give them point, the tools. And then point four is you already brought develop standardized tests that encourage self-assessment. Yes. Like we just talked about. And then finally, number five, ensure the test encourage students to think broadly. Yes. Now, this one is a bit of a situation. You know, they're, what they're saying, you know, most multiple multiple choice tests don't, uh, you know, they can't assess everything. They There needs to be open-ended right. questions. The only problem with open-ended questions is that it's subjective as to who grades. But that's the reality of life. So here's, yes. the, here's the problem that I have being, I will say now I'm like the middle-aged worker guy, right? And I'm seeing the new people that are now like 20 years younger than me entering the workforce, right? Yes. Is that the, there's a mindset of that there is the right answer. And in engineering and in science, that is, especially engineering, that is hardly ever the case. There is not the right answer. There is a better answer, but everything is better relative to something else. And in our world, this notion of you've got to find the right answer, like I can, like I can deduce any of my work problems to a single right answer, is is killing us in the engineering. And world. that's kind of what they're saying is. Give the kids a chance to think on a broader right. scale. Explain their That's what they're saying. That's why they're saying we need we need questions that allow kids to answer on a broader scale and you know bring out what they know from knowledge and memory. More so than just memorize, like a rote memorization. Like they need to have some sort of ability to think, which creative, which is what the basis of Common Core is. It's just Common Core does it badly. No, I would say it does it freaking horribly. It does it bad, yes. But it was when it was developed. It was yes, it was under this umbrella that we're going to teach kids to think more constructively. However, they have gone totally off the rails right. on it, and they're actually confusing the kids. Well, that's the thing. Like, are, here's the thing. Like, and Common Core, to my problem is that it assumes everyone has to be equal. But guess what? We also embrace this thing called diversity. Not everyone has to be the same. Yes. In fact, it's better if we have people of we have people that can do more theoretical work, which we have traditionally um, 
kind of correlated with being smarter, right? That the people that do the more theoretical creatives are the smart people. And the people that can only do the hands-on mechanical work are the, and then my point is no, that they're both intelligent, just in different ways. And this common core thing has, has made us lean so tilted to the academic at the expense of the creative hands-on that we need to re, we need to rebalance basically. Yes, I agree. And speaking of that, so this is about kids, right? But the problem is, it's not just kids, and that leads us to our next story. This is great. We nailed this yes. today. Something that I had never heard of before. I've, I've, I've heard of the projects. I never know that there was an umbrella term. Citizen science. And this is something that we're both passionate about, is that learning is a lifetime endeavor. You don't get through school and then you're done learning, right? Yes. It is forever. You will always be learning. You should always be learning. And I think part of in the U.S. right now, we have to go back to where we have we have lost our ability to do basic scientific technological, and we're not going to repeat last week's conversation where we got really <laughs> heated, but no matter what we do agree that people have to have to have a, there has to be a basic, um, or at least an, an ability to go find a place to be able to develop a basic yes. language I, yeah, I of agree scientific and rational There's thought. a place and a time for it. And yes, for I those people that. that want to do that, what I would recommend is, I found a great resource called Crowds. The, the address is a little bit of pain, and we'll have the links in the show note. Crowdsourcing-toolkit.sites.usa.gov. And I've also put on links up there from American Scientific about what citizen science is. And, of course, thankfully, there's Wikipedia, so, yes, too. What is so the idea of citizen science is um, if, if people have done, like, SETI at home, which is search for extraterrestrial intelligence at home. The idea is we have all these radio observatories collecting all this data, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we're listening to all the stars, and we're, we're trying to pick up if we can hear um, radio waves that are that are showing signs of intelligence. In other words, like our television, our radio, though, in our mm -hmm. car, those those waves get broadcasted not only from our transmitters to our radios, but a lot of this signal gets lost into space. So if an alien culture was looking at our planet, they could hear us through our electromagnetic mm -hmm. um, broadcast, well, study at home said, well, if we can do it, if we're putting radio waves out in the space, then maybe aliens are also doing that. So mm -hmm. it was a, pro a project, and still, and I think it, they revised it, mm -hmm. <laughs> where you they're collecting all this data, right? Yes. But the problem is we need computers to crunch that data. So what you can do is you go on your computer, download an app, and what will happen is they say, well, you're not using your computer like at night, leave it on, and we're going to send data to your computer and let it crunch all those signals to see so if you can find So basically it's the government example. giving resources to the lay people to do well, it's, the scientific it's research. Not, and SETI's not a government thing. So it's not I know just SETI's government. not. I'm saying in this broader umbrella right. of citizen science, so are the they idea opening is, up resources to the common people to do different things? So the idea is... Not said different things. Right. So there's also called folding at home, which does the same thing, but with DNA sequences to find protein pairs to do yes. better medicine. Um, but the same idea as SETI. So the idea is how do you get people, the, the quote unquote average Joe, to be engaged in science? Um, and it's not just, just, and we want it more, like to me, the SETI at home thing is a very And how passive. do you take the average Joe's findings legitimately? And that's where this. And that's only if you give them the tools to make yeah. it legitimate. And correct. that's where I found this okay. great resource toolkit. So the idea is, there are people out there who we will train you. So give you give them all the same tools. See what data they right. collect. So the National and Weather take Service that and make it into something. So the National okay. Weather Service is, especially in the Midwest, this is very popular. We'll train you to be weather spotters. Yes. So you come to a National Weather Service office. I see lots of you people around here that would like to do that. And then we'll take your reports, and then you'll vote. So we'll take your reports that you send in from all across the country. Yes. And use that to actually build national weather forecasts. Okay. And you don't have to have a bachelor's degree in meteorology or yes. whatever. So, but taking that to a bigger perspective of so, all things. So now that you mention that, are we eventually going to get to a point where things like degrees in certain areas are not needed. My point, and this is education in general, is that, yes, I think we're going to get to a point where the education is important, 
the having this peace. We just we've we've so wrapped our minds around that having the bachelor's this, degree is is worthless in our society today, almost. Right. The so education isn't worthless. The education the is actual the actual degree itself. The manner in which we just acquire the education paper. is is I would say is antiquated. Yes. The problem, especially from a science and technology perspective, is it moves so fast that what you learn at the beginning of a semester is probably going to be outdated at the end of the semester. So the problem is, yes, there are that's actually a problem we're having with teachers with Common Core because they don't understand how to do. You know, there's not enough training for the teachers to know how to do it. So everybody in their profession needs to go through training to keep relevant. Now, I mean, the point of this, though, is not necessarily that you're making a job out of this. This is volunteer-based. Yes. This this citizen science is... It's more of a hobby. It's a hobby, right? You have a passion for something that... Your say your day job is to be an accountant, yes. but it not your. But it can fulfill a need within you to feel like you're doing something for the greater it good. It fulfills you know? the greater good passion, yes. right? Uh, and there's so there's there's all these examples on this website. There's um. Or say you're in a profession called, where you just can't do exactly what you would like to do. There's a, it allows you for exactly. a little bit broader perspective. So like, there's a crowdsourced astronomy project here called Galaxy Zoo. Which is basically, we're going to send you, you know, we're scanning the skies of all these planets and um, galaxies and quasars and all this, all this stuff that's out in space, yeah. right? The thing is, we need to, we need to have your, you are exiting the federal crown, uh, you're going to a non-federal <laughs> site, but you have to put that in there. So the idea is, you're, we're going to send you pictures, and then you help us, um, kind of classify what type of galaxy this is. Okay. So we again we provide you some training, and then you go ahead and you do the the legwork. Now there are experts who will kind of do validations, but you also are about you're also the crowdsourcing is your other people that in that crowd that are doing this are also going to look at your work, and so it's not just like you get it by yourself. Yes, yes there's somebody reviewing your work to make it's sure fel- that it's, it's crowdsourced. So it's fellow volunteers. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you gain reputation. The better the work, but then you I do, would think even above that, there are actual and then yes, above that, people who are the third legitimate right. job is to review what you're doing. But the point is, um, the this is just one of many types of things that people could. Be. My so my point was today, and I so think anybody it's like can steam. be a scientist, right? The idea is like steam, right? If I if I could, I can't sit here today and explain every possible nuance of steam, right? And how people are using it and getting involved. Well, citizen science is like a deep dive on the science of, of, of steam, of, of the S of steam. Okay. So if you're interested and you want to get involved with legitimate, um, I would say, check out this, again, this, this crowdsourcing toolkit from USA.gov and look for projects to get involved with. Okay. Um, so is this something, do you think they'll use in maybe like high school and college programs to get I would think kids s- more involved? STEM, STEM scouts or, just launched? Yes, or, you know, people who, like kids who don't know exactly what they want to be to get them involved in different areas right? so that they know when they go to college where to narrow their education? Or, well, two things, right. You know, it would be great if you decide to go to college and major in this stuff, right? Because at the end of the day, we're still going to have college for at least another yes. five or ten years. More than that. <laughs> Maybe 15. More than that. Um, but if nothing else, with the more important thing, and again, my opinion, is that we just want an educated, not just a workforce, but we want a, a society that has, we don't, you don't have to be a scientist, but you have to at least be able to think rationally and think a little scientifically. Because, we have, again, we have so many big decisions about, the future of our hum- of our species that are going to be impacted by the decisions we make today. That we want people to have just a little bit of being able to think scientifically, technologically, rationally about some yeah. of these big challenges that we're going to be facing: global climate change, um, renewable energy. So that if you go in and you do these things, if nothing else, you're training your brain how to think rationally and scientifically, and that's a good. That to me is good enough. That if we can do that, and we can we can help. 75% of the non-technical world just be a little bit more, you know, savvy when they come to thinking about problems than I think we've done our job. Okay. And that's what crowdsource this uh, citizen science seems to be all about. Okay. And that's it.
That was a good show today. What do you think? Mm, I think it was good. You think it was good? Mm-hmm. We didn't get so heated this time. No, we didn't. It was. It's, a, it's kind of boring. It's kind of like this is kind of boring. This show. It's kind of like. I want to see more fist of we, we got more comments on that episode than we have in anything else. Really? Yes. We got people. To, we have people debating about our debate. It's great. Oh. Like there's the pros and cons. There's the people that support you, and there's the people that support my perspective. Mm. And they were. I'm actually surprised and, you know, more people are more supporting you, being as is it's a more uh, science based. You know, I can see people thinking, "Hey, I want the boy to be created." Right. It's just in my mind. There's just it's a place and a time. You know, you just can't do what you want whenever you want. That's just—I mean—that's how the world works. We're not going to have part two today. <laughs> no, but <laughs> so with that in mind, um, what about? So here's what I want to know: for the people that are listening and watching, have you ever done any sort of of citizen science? And if so, what projects have you supported? That's what I want people to talk about this time and debate. Um, hopefully, not debate. I mean, and, and the nice yeah, thing is, though, debate, the debate though. was the debate was actually very was very. Um, I want to say cordial, but um, it was it was it wasn't like a vitriol. Wasn't vicious, right? It was yes. it was a it was a legitimate good debate about ideas. So yeah, so much on the internet can be vicious nowadays. Yeah. People attacking people. So and, yep. we don't need that. So citizen science. What citizen science stuff are you doing? Let us know. Um, or what would you or like? What, or what would you like to do? Yeah. yeah, that's another. It's even better question. Yeah. What things do you think would be open? Could be opened up to citizen science. Um, obviously, things like you know, like you know, perhaps nuclear research is probably not. <laughs> something no, that's quite I don't viable. see that one being But um, anyway, that's that. Yep, sounds good. You good? You got anything else? Yep. All right, so with that, uh, I guess thanks, everyone, for listening and writing in and all that other stuff. Make sure you head over to cpowerpodcast.com for links to the new Slack sign-up, sign up for the Slack community. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get the Audible uh, sign-up mm-hmm. and sign up for your free trial Audible. Yeah, I need to get a new book. I think, you've got, I think, I think we're two credits again. Good. So there you go. So with that, thank you all very, very, very much for listening and watching. And until next time, stay quirky. And keep it steamy. Thanks for watching. Bye. Bye.